Sunday mornings at either 9 or 10.30 a.m. Well, today um, I'm going to be reading some scripture, as you might, you might have guessed, and um, we're just going to stick right there in, in the first part of our New Testament, Matthew and Luke. And as we're there, what I want you to know, what I'll be reading from comes from the New American Standard. That's what will be on the screen behind me. So if that looks a little different than what you hold in your hands, that's just fine. But have your Bibles ready. And, um, and be prepared. You know, this week was an interesting week um, for a variety of, of different reasons. And some of those reasons looked a little bit like this. It all started on Monday for me. And I don't know why this week turned out this way. But on Monday, I, I ended up at the tire shop, okay? And uh, I had a lawnmower tire. Anybody mow for the first time this week? Isn't that the most horrible day of the year? That first day you break out that mower because there's always one person who lives close to you who ruins it for everybody. Even when you live out in the country like us, you still got that one person who has to mow when the, it's like the snow has melted and they've got their lawnmower out. There they go. Uh, well, you know, so, so the lawnmower was not ready. It had a flight. So I had to go to the tire shop, got that all taken care of, got back to the house had the floor jack underneath the lawnmower to get that all taken care of. Well, I got that wrapped up, you know, got the, got the lawnmower down, everything was good to go, and then forgetting that I lost the little, the little bolts, not a pin, it's a bolt, that keeps the top half of the jack handle in the bottom half. You've done that before? And I'll tell you, a floor jack isn't light, especially a cheap one from Harbor Freight. All right, so, so I lifted up on that thing pretty hard, and... The, the top of the handle came out, hit me in the nose. So, blood's going everywhere, had a little cut. I mean, it was like this, I meant for this, I mean, because the cut, like, form followed my nose, just like perfectly, right around the bend there. And I have, it's been a long time since I've had a blood. My eyes started watering, I couldn't see anything, and blood is just going everywhere. I was like, oh, that's nice, that's wonderful. I didn't throw, I might have thrown the jack handle. Um, <laughs> maybe, there are no witnesses. So, um, Anyway, so, so that was Monday. Well, Tuesday rolls around. I'm in the kitchen doing what I do every single morning in this little corner of the kitchen that I have. The, 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 the pantry of the kitchen is right here, one of those in-kitchen in pantries, you know. It's right there. I get through. I'm old now, so i got to take a lot of medicine. So got through all of my medicine there. I turned, and I hit my nose on the corner of the cabinet. I mean, just... Boom! I was like, how is this happening? So I hit with the jack on this side. I hit it with the cabinet on this side. This side of my nose still hurts today. It tells you how hard I hit it. Blood starts dripping out some again. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. All right, so let's fast forward to Wednesday. Wednesday. I did another thing I do every single day. I opened the door on my car. How many times did I do that? I'd say on an average day... 12, 13 times, well, it, it's got to be an odd number, because, anyway, never mind, I don't even know. So, so I open up the door of the car, and then you know, you know on, on these, it's a small car, and the height's just right, and you know how the, the window frame kind of comes to a point? I open it up, and I hit my nose. Again, three days in a row, it started bleeding again. And all I can think, guys, there's only one logical explanation for this. Only one. You know what they tell you? Your nose and your ears never stop growing. 
I don't know if that's true. Is that true, Kelly? That's what I've been told. Guys, I love my, my late grandpa. I love him. Grandpa Dulavey. It's, it's Dulavey in Midwest. In French, it's Dulavey. So I like Dulavey a little bit better. But Lloyd Dulavey, I, I, I'm told I'm a spitting image, look just like him. And I'm thinking, I mean, I'm telling you guys now, I didn't know my grandpa real well until he was well into his 60s. Man, he got a big old honking nose, all right? And, and big ears that like came, like the earlobes came all the way below his jaw, it seemed like. And I'm like, I love my grandpa, but that's what I'm looking like. And I'm thinking, have I really hit the midlife crisis? Did my nose grow that much in one week? I mean, one week. I believe it. I do. There's no other explanation. And you might say, that's very unlikely, preacher. But what else can you tell me? How many of you hit your nose three times in three days? Seriously. Some of you got these little noses that hardly even there. You've never hit them before in your life. Anyway. Unlikely. Guys, I've got to tell you something. What we celebrate today on Easter Sunday, I'll just be straight with you is unlikely to say the least. God came into this world and walked in the flesh. God. That's unlikely. He died and he arose. That is unlikely. But brothers and sisters, when it comes to the resurrection, for us as believers, it is all or nothing. We have to understand that. Paul makes it very, very clear in his first letter to the church in Corinth. It's found what we call in 1 Corinthians 15. He says this. He says, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, we of all people are most to be pitied. Thankfully, he did leave the tomb. He did. And I'm telling you guys, what a day. A day that changed everything. And all we're going to do, and we're going to do this very quickly today, we're just going to take a look at Jesus, his itinerary for that amazing day. Now, that day began from what we find in Scripture without him even being a part of it until a few moments later. Where it began was this. The, the characters were angels and soldiers. All right? Can you, for just a moment, imagine what those Roman soldiers witnessed? They were the unlucky ones. It's already been a long day. The day before... Uh, you know, it, 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 all right? I mean, you're talking about Good Friday. Those guys are still tired from that. It had been a long, trying day for them. And then somebody from amongst those Roman soldiers was plucked a couple of days, or was plucked from that group to say, all right, we need to guard the tomb. We need the tomb to be guarded. Remember, the priests went to Pilate and said, you need to guard that tomb. So they rolled the stone in front of the tomb. It was sealed, and they set a guard there. I just can't imagine those soldiers who drew the short stick, who had to be there and guard. They, the day, this, when this begins to take place, the day is dawning. They are tired. 
All right, they have been up all night. Let me tell you, when you are given a job as a Roman soldier by a commanding officer, you do not skirt that job. You do it fully. A little bit more about that here in just a moment. So the day is dawning. They are tired. And guess what happens? There's an earthquake. Now remember, these guys have already experienced this three days earlier on that what we call Good Friday. When Jesus breathed his last, the world shook. Figuratively and literally. And now it's morning. A couple days later, and what happens is, this is what happens. The earth shakes again. And that's not the most amazing thing. An angel drops right out of the sky. An angel, something that is not of this world, single-handedly rolls away the stone and sits on it. Can you imagine witnessing this? Let's just read about it. It comes from Matthew chapter 28. We're going to start here and then we will find ourselves in Luke chapter 24. When you're talking about the resurrection, you have to kind of pick and choose because obviously all four gospels speak of it. So we're going to start in Matthew and we will end our day in Luke. Matthew chapter 28 beginning with verse 1 and this is what it says. Now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. The guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. The guards are quite literally scared to a point that they look like they are dead. You almost have to feel sorry for these guys. Although, i got to be honest with you, I would have loved to just for a moment stood in their sandals and seen what they saw. Now we don't, the scripture doesn't tell us if Jesus was still even in the tomb at the time. We will see from a little bit later, Jesus now quite readily just, boom, he's gone, and boom, he shows up. We'll see a little bit more of that as it goes. But we know this, the stone was rolled away. And let me tell you something, the tomb was empty, and the future for these poor fellows, these soldiers, does not look too bright. As I've already told you, they are Roman soldiers. And if the body of one they were given the responsibility to guard disappears... You know what the ramifications of that for them? They get the sentence of the one who was in the tomb. They would lose their lives. That is what their future looks like. They had one job. Keep a dead body in a tomb and they could not get the job done. So let's continue. There's there's a little bit about the women who showed up and what takes place then. And then we get this little detail. Look at... Matthew 28, beginning in verse 11. Now, while they were on their way, and that is the women going back to the apostles after they have spoken to the angel. And while they're on their way, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all that had happened. It's interesting to me that these Roman guards don't go to the Roman commanders they go to the high priest there's a reason for that if they go to the roman commanders it's i mean they're dead they're dead i mean they would probably be killed right on the spot 
So they go to the chief priests, they told them, reported them all that had happened. Verse 12. And when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers and said, You are to say, His disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this should come to the ears of the governor, we will win him over and keep you out of trouble. They took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story was widely spread among the Jews and is to this day. Guys, i got to tell you something. This is a big risk. And we don't really don't know the Paul Harvey rest of the story here. Now, it's quite obvious that the chief priests had some sway over Pilate, whether he wanted to say so or not. Remember, Pilate didn't want to kill Jesus in the first place. But he was persuaded by the chief priests and by the uproar that was beginning. But yet, think about this for a moment. These soldiers leave. All it would take from those chief priests is telling the Roman authorities, Pilate, to be specific, oh, I don't know what they're talking about. Because... This is the problem with this. If they fell asleep and someone came and stole that body, they're dead. They are absolutely dead. But the chief priest said, we can't have them telling that story about an angel showing up or anything like that. So you just tell people that you fell asleep, you great, powerful, very dedicated Roman soldier, you fell asleep, and while you were sleeping, instead of guarding the tomb, the body was stolen, which how would they even know if they were asleep? But anyway, so this is a huge risk that these soldiers are taking, that the chief priests will follow through on what they say they're going to do. Because if they do not, these men are dead men. So this begins with angels and soldiers, but very quickly, as you've already seen, there's somebody else who enters into this, and it is the women. There's something we need to understand. Ladies, understand this about Jesus. There is no greater liberator of women in the history of this world than Jesus Christ. If you knew that culture and the place of women in that culture, Jesus turned that completely upside down. And it is no accident that the very first ones to hear this incredible news of Jesus are what? The women. That's pretty awesome. So, what we've got here is several women, and you get a picture of this from all four of the gospel writers, okay? There's only one common denominator in all of them, and the common denominator is one of the women, one, one of the women was named Mary Magdalene. Of course, we know of her from the stories of Jesus in the gospel. So these women are headed to the tomb. They want to go and try to get put, you know, continue to, to anoint the body, to show proper respect to it, and they're on their way and like, what? All of a sudden it hits them. What are we going to do about the stone? How in the world are we going to move that stone? So they get there. The stone has already been moved. There's an earthquake as they're walking there. The soldiers are gone. The stone is rolled away. They don't know what in the world's going on here. Okay? Their mind didn't go to the best place right off the bat. Now turn over to Luke chapter 24. We'll spend most of our time here today remaining in Luke chapter 24. I want to read for you a few verses there. So the women arrive, the tomb is open, and not only is the tomb open, it's empty. There is no body of Jesus in there. 
And we're going to start in verse 4 of Luke 24. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly shone near them in dazzling clothing. And as the women were terrified, as they bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to him, said to them, why do you seek the living one among the dead? He's not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise again. It's kind of interesting as they see this. The angels are somewhat impatient. It's like, well, duh. You came here looking for Jesus. He told you he was going to rise from the dead. How come you cannot get this? And I think the angels for the next day, couple days, are probably just like scratching as of these dumb people. I mean, this was predicted. Jesus himself said he was going to die and he was going to arise. And we're going to see little smatterings of this throughout this story. So... The angels are to tell these women, they say, go back and tell the others what you have seen, what you have heard. Now, it looks a little, it gets, when you put all four gospels together, it gets a little confusing as to how the sequence of events lays out itself next. But this is the best we can kind of come up with. Remember, as people are writing this, they're writing this from first-hand account or hearing from first-hand account. And I'm telling you, this was an exciting day. Right? And trying to pack all those facts into one greater story. This is what ends up happening. Apparently Mary Magdalene was like a little behind these ladies. So she kind of missed out on this first encounter. They go blowing past her to go back to the apostles. All right, And then she missing out on all of this is kind of staying behind. Still wondering what has taken place. I'm sure the ladies told her, the angels showed up, the tomb is empty. We got to go tell Peter and John and the rest of the guys. And she's like, what are you talking about? So she comes there herself. She looks into the tomb and she sees, what? An angel? The angel speaks to her. She has no idea what is going on. Two different times when you put this together, guess what? The angel asks her, why are you crying? I'm telling you, these angels, they're a little bit surprised. They're like, why are you crying? He said he was going to arise. He is alive. Why are you crying? She gets asked that question one more time. Guess who asks it the next time? Jesus. So ladies, the very first person to see Jesus alive, a woman. Her name, Mary Magdalene. And she falls before him and grabs a hold of him and he says, no, he says, he says, let go, let go. It's not anything about saying you can't touch me or anything like that. What it has to do with this is this. Understand something. Things have changed now. I'm not staying. Might be here for a little while, but I'm not staying. You must let go of me. And then he tells her, go and tell the others. I just, ladies, I don't know about you, I just love the fact that the first ones to really know, to really see, are the women. Let's fast forward just a little bit. This is kind of a long walk home. You know, when you are devastated, when you are absolutely devastated, everything is drearier. You've been there before. 
Something happens in life. Maybe you remember something taking place from when you were younger. You know, when, when you were still an emotional person because you grow up and you're not emotional. No, I'm just kidding. I'm probably more emotional now than I ever was. I can't even watch a Hallmark movie with my mom without crying. Are you serious? All right. And, and so, so, I don't, guys, I don't watch Hallmark movies very often. It's for my mom. You got Mother's Day sometimes. You know what I'm saying. I'm telling you, Zed. All right. When you're devastated, everything is drear. And what we see taking place now is outside of Jerusalem, outside of that area, located about seven miles away from Jerusalem was a little town, and the name of that town was Emmaus. And you have two people leaving Jerusalem and going to that town. And they are devastated because they too were followers of Jesus. Now they weren't like capital D disciples or capital A apostles. Um, but they were, they had privy to some pretty, pretty, pretty detailed information as we will see. And these two followers are walking towards Emmaus. It seems like that this is, this is their home. And, and as they're walking, Jesus himself shows up. And as we see the conversation take place between Jesus and these two, we find something out. We find that they know some very privileged information and we find something else out too. They don't recognize him. As I said, we're going to remain in Luke chapter 24 here. It tells us that their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. Mark 16 gives us this little added detail about this event. Mark 16 says that Jesus appeared in a different form. And we don't know exactly what that means except for this. It was God who closed their eyes for a while. I mean, because I know you're thinking. I know you're thinking, Dave. I see you're shaking your head, yes. It's like, it's Jesus. How can you not recognize Jesus walking beside you? Well, God had a little bit to do with that. And they're walking along. Jesus just kind of shows up walking with him. Now understand, they are leaving Jerusalem. Jesus is leaving Jerusalem with them. They are on the way from there to somewhere else. So they know where Jesus came from. And Jesus stops them with a question. Look at it in Luke chapter 24, beginning with verse 17. Jesus said to them, what are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? That question stopped them in their tracks. They stood still looking sad. They, they look at Jesus and like, how can you not know what has just happened? You're leaving Jerusalem, all right? How in the world can you not know what has taken place these past few days? How can you not know this? What Jesus then proceeds to do, they tell him of the crucifixion, they tell him of the empty tomb. Some of the women, those crazy women, saying they found the tomb empty. We don't know what's taking place. Maybe somebody stole the body. We just don't know what's going on here. Okay, and from that point on, Jesus calls them foolish, and he proceeds to open up the Old Testament. Now, he didn't have the scrolls with him. It's Jesus. He knows it. And he begins to preach to them about himself. About what the Old Testament, the law and the prophets had to say about him. And about the resurrection. Them not knowing who's talking to them at this point. So let's, let's jump down to verse 30. 
They had talked Jesus into eating dinner with them. They had arrived in Emmaus. It says this, When Jesus, he, had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it, and breaking it, he began giving it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to one another, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? That same word burning is the same word Jesus uses to describe John the Baptist. And John the Baptist's testimony of him several years before saying that he was a lamp burning in the wilderness. It's something that takes place inside. That's something, that little something comes from God. And even though God had blinded their eyes, he hadn't blinded the heart within them. And they knew something about this guy. As he's talking and speaking this incredible wisdom, there's something going on inside. And they're like, why didn't we know it? We, we knew something was going on here. Well, they proceed to, as I said, it's, the day's almost already over. They're getting ready to eat dinner there in Emmaus. And they run all the way back as we're told at that very hour, to Jerusalem. I imagine the trip back to Jerusalem is just a little different from their trip from Jerusalem. So, they make it back to Jerusalem. I mean, they weren't even tired. They ran hard, and they find out that Jesus has been busy that day. He had already appeared to one other, and this other was an apostle. You can probably guess who. His name was Peter. You remember what happened the last time in the last interaction between Jesus and Peter? No words spoken, by the way. Peter had just denied Jesus during Jesus' mockery of a trial for the third time. The rooster crowed and the eyes of Peter looked across the courtyard and met the eyes of Jesus. And Peter left the scene and went out and wept bitterly telling you something that's pretty compassionate on the part of Jesus that he chose to meet with Simon Peter alone. So Jesus has been busy. He's already met. Peter had already been busy. They come back and say, we saw him. He broke the bread and all of a sudden we knew it was him. He'd been with us. He told us all about what he's, I mean, they're just going 90 to nothing, all right? And they say, well, Peter has already seen him as well. And while they are trying to describe to them, uh, and you know what it's like when you got two people excited about the same story, they won't stop interrupting each other. And you're like, would you just be quiet? Just one talk. Okay, just one of you talk. And that's it. I know you've been there before. Okay, so they're trying to get this spit out. And the, the whole group, forgets about what they're saying. Not because they're not excited about it, because something else happens. Look to verse 36. While they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought that they were seeing a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your heart? See my hands, my feet, that it is I myself, touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still could not believe it because of their joy and amazement, he said to them, and this is funny, you got something to eat? 
but you got something to eat. And he gave, gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. I know many of you know this. The human author of the Gospel of Luke was a doctor. And I just love it that he gives us this very important detail that Jesus shows up. They've already heard that Jesus is alive and he's standing right before them. He shows up, all right? And they still cannot believe it. Isn't it crazy? They can't believe it because of their joy. It's like, okay, this is just too good to be true. You've been there before? This is just too good to be true. But it is true. And guess what? Dr. Luke, Dr. Luke, the physician makes it very clear by reporting this fact. Jesus ate a piece of fish. Guys, I don't care what you saw on Ghostbusters. The really good Ghostbusters back in 1980s. All right, That's the classic. I don't care about this stuff they've been coming out with lately. I'm talking about the real Ghostbusters. And I don't care what you saw on the Ghostbusters about Slimer eating all that food. You know what I'm saying? Ghosts don't eat. All right, They don't do it. And yet you've got Jesus here eating a piece of leftover fish. Brothers and sisters, this wasn't wishful thinking on behalf of a few devastated followers. Jesus was and is alive. And let me tell you something, that, that day was a busy day for the risen Savior. He was hard at work. And he continues to work each and every day, 2,000 years later. You know, um, don't tell my father-in-law this, okay? Please don't. But I'm not, I'm not the biggest Gaither fan. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. They got some great music, but I don't have a bunch of, of Gaither records, tapes, or CDs. I don't. Okay? My father-in-law takes care of it for all of us who are his family. I got to tell you something, though. Bill Gaither, a few decades ago, wrote a song. Wow. Goes a little something. I'm not going to sing it for you. Because, What? He lives. I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. For I know who holds the future. And life is worth the living just because he lives. And you get to that last verse. And it says something a little something like this. It says, and then one day, I'll cross that river and fight life's final war with pain. And then as death gives way to victory, as death gives way to victory, I'll see the lights of glory and I will know that he Because he lives. You know, um, 
2 Corinthians 5, Paul writing his second letter to the church in Corinth. And he lets this truth be known. And this is very true. This is everything about Easter, folks. When we walk in this world, we walk by faith, not by sight. We've been getting together for several weeks now on Wednesday nights, looking at the evidence that backs up the fact that Jesus lives. He did arise from that grave. He did do what he said he was going to do. It is true. And we've been looking at that. The evidence backs it up. But here's the, here's the thing. There's a lot of evidence that backs up Jesus and backs up his father. But while we walk in this world, it will always be a step of faith. Because we walk by faith, not by sight. And let me tell you something, folks. One day, faith will end. Do you realize that? In Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth, he says this. He's talking about love. He says, faith, hope, and love. These three, they remain. And the greatest of these is what? Love. Why is love so much greater than faith and hope? I mean, seriously, our lives are built upon faith in Jesus Christ. How could anything be greater than that? You know why? Because one day, faith and hope will be a memory. Because one day, our faith will become sight. And we will live in eternity, no longer having to be people of faith, because we will live in the presence of our God forever. So faith and hope, that's nah, a thing of the past. But what remains? Love. And all of this, brothers and sisters, is because God keeps his promises. Jesus lives.